Let's turn again to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. I first went to a Christian conference when I was 15, and I wasn't yet a Christian. I really didn't like it. It was a miserable weekend, listening to preaching and singing hymns, as I wasn't someone who loved the Saviour yet. And I don't remember any of the teaching, apart from one odd thing. This American preacher who who said, if, if, if someone's had all of their family die in a car crash... And a Christian goes up to them, and it's just happened, the Christian says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to their purpose. He said, that Christian should be taken outside and slowly strangled. Now, it is stuck in my mind, and maybe it's because he later on apologised and said, sorry if you misunderstood me, I didn't actually mean go and strangle them. Maybe that's why it's stuck in my mind. But it also stuck in my mind because what a strange thing to say. Because isn't it true, isn't it true even when the car crash has happened, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Yes, it is. But when we take the comfort of the Bible and detach it from the context it has in the Bible, the context which is realism about how deep our wounds can be, when we take the comfort and detach it from the context, we make it shallow and not comforting. It it can just sound annoying or unrealistic. In a world full of suffering and where we have wounds that can go very deep, how do we get and give comfort from God's word without being shallow and trite and just unrealistic? Well, we can get at least part of the answer from Lamentations chapter 3. Let me remind you how we've got here. We've been in a topical series that was supposed to be three sermons, three topical sermons from Lamentations. I'll have to try and remember what they were. The, oh dear, I've forgotten. But anyway, we got on last week to the comfort in Lamentations, the comfort lamentations but I didn't manage to do the whole sermon we just had the first point and uh, so today what we're going to do is recap that first point but go on and do the next two we were supposed to have last week so it will help you if you were here last week and can remember it if you can't hopefully it will still be understandable let me show you what I'm trying to get across Phil can we have the uh, table on the screen Here's what I'm trying to get across to show you some parallels that are hopefully even up. Parallels between Jeremiah's experience here of suffering faith and being raised up and Christ's experience of the same three. And then our experience of the same three. Oh, yes, there are big differences between Jeremiah's and Christ's and our experience. But we'll also see some big parallels that I hope will help us in our experience to look back and learn from Jeremiah, but especially from Christ. Thank you, Phil. Uh, By the way, it's obvious there I'm taking the traditional view that Jeremiah is the person who wrote Lamentations. It doesn't say so. It's just a tradition, but it's a tradition with actually some pretty good reasons behind it. And 
no good reasons to throw away the tradition. So I'm sticking with it. Jeremiah's experience. First of all, verses 1 to 20, Jeremiah's experience was suffering. In 588 BC, the Babylonian army besieged Jerusalem and then destroyed the city. And that was punishment for the people's sins. That's what was going on in Lamentations. That's what the book is about. That's the history. So why was Jeremiah suffering? He was suffering, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction. We saw examples last night, uh, last week of what his affliction was like, but I'm not going to go through that again. He was suffering, but he wasn't unrepentant, and he wasn't rebellious. So why was he suffering? Well, Jerusalem's suffering had become Jeremiah's suffering. Two ways. First, very simple way, he lived there. He was a resident of the city, and so he got caught up in it. God was punishing, uh, God was responding to sinners who wouldn't repent. He was punishing individuals and the nation. And, and because that involved a siege of Jerusalem, although Jeremiah wasn't, repent, wasn't unrepentant, he still would have experienced starvation, hunger, pain. Because that punishment justly involved destroying Jerusalem, and Jeremiah lived in Jerusalem, presumably his house got pulled down and he was homeless. Don't know for sure, but I do know the Babylonians systematically went through the city destroying everything they could. So highly likely Jeremiah's house was made a pile of rubble and he was homeless, simply because he lived in a place under judgment. He got caught up in it. But there's another reason why Jerusalem's suffering became Jeremiah's suffering, which is he wasn't just a private individual. Who was Jeremiah? What was his role? He was a prophet. And a prophet spoke God's word, but not just that. A prophet spoke God's word to God's people and identified himself with God's people. He took on himself, in a sense, the role of, yes, someone speaking for God, but someone representing God's people. And that means he took the pain of God's people on himself. He loved them. And so their pain became his pain. When, as happened, women held to their heart starving children, it broke Jeremiah's heart. When, as happened, God's temple was destroyed, Jeremiah's peace was destroyed. When, as happened, God's people were abandoned, Jeremiah felt abandoned. Because he wasn't just an individual who happened to live there. In his role as God's representative, he took on the pain of God's people. That's why Jeremiah suffered. But let's move on. If you remember the table, his experience was suffering. His experience was also faith. And this is verses 21 to 33. He had faith. What was his faith in? It was in God's character. And that's what these verses, verses 22 forwards, are about. God's character. Now, I'd love to go through those verses again. I'd love to stop and consider, for example, verse 22 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. His compassions are new every morning. He feels for you again each morning. Do you remember that word compassion? It comes from the word for bowels. In other words, he feels it deeply. God, I know he's not got a body, but he it's telling us he feels it from right within. And it's new every morning. He feels for you newly again tomorrow morning. You are not just living in the afterglow of, he used to feel something for you, he did so, he sent his son for you, and now he's made some promises and he's got a bit lumb, but he's tied into you by his promises. No, every morning he feels for you again. Newly each day, he feels for you again. And so, his heart is full of love that endures forever. And he does not afflict from his heart. Yes, he does afflict his people when they need it, but not from the heart. He doesn't enjoy it. Now, I'd love to spend more time on that, but um, if you weren't here last week, you'll have to listen to that online. Because otherwise it will be like last week. I'll just get through the first point. And then next week we'll have to do point two and three. So, he has faith in God's character. And because of that, he waits. He waits. In other words, because God's love never ends, while his anger does end, this suffering won't be the end. God's covenant has not been put through the shredder. It's still valid. And that because of that, Jeremiah believes Jerusalem will be restored. The city will be rebuilt. God will bring his people back from captivity and he will be with them. And that means something for these wonderful words from verse 22 onwards. It means they are not just sentiment to make us feel better. They are truth for us to keep hold of and look forward to something God will actually do. They're not just sentiment so we cheer up. They are truth to keep hold of and be confident there's something to look forward to that God will do. That's what verse 22 onwards are, because Jeremiah's confident it's worth waiting. God's got something good in store. You know, it's sad that these verses do often get treated as if they're just a bit sentimental. I thought it'd be interesting to look, I had a little look at some of the artwork. Um, Genesis 3, verse 22 to 23. I just put those verses in a Google image search. And this is what came up. Lots of them like this. That's lovely, isn't it? Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23 is for you when you're on holiday in the Lake District. And everything's at peace. That's what the artwork seems to imply. But you look at chapter 3, that's not what was going on. Jeremiah was not in the Lake District at peace. He was in Jerusalem, a smoking ruin. Let's have the next one, Philip. That's lovely, isn't it? Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23 is for healthy-looking children playing in the long grass. But actually, in Lamentations chapter 3, the children are in piles of rubble and they're starving. It's for that sort of child. Let's have the last one, Philip. I thought this would be good for Remembrance Sunday. A field of poppies. Lamentations there were there were loads of these bits of artwork, and the vast majority were flowers. 
Lots of lovely pictures of flowers. There we are, Remembrance Sunday, poppy fields. But Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, is for the Flanders fields not full of poppies, but before the poppies came. It's for the Flanders fields with trenches and mud and barbed wire and an awful lot of dead bodies. That's the sort of picture that ought to be the art, Christian artwork for Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23. Thank you, Philip. And that doesn't make it worse. That actually makes it more real and better comfort because it says those verses are not just true in the Lake District when you're on holiday or when the flowers are growing. They're true in the trenches of World War One. They're true in whatever wounds you're feeling now. Because they're not just sentiment to make you feel better, they're truth to keep hold of. Particularly when we don't feel it. Particularly when the wounds are deep. Lamentations 3 verse 22 onwards is truth in the middle of trouble. And God has structured this book very purposely. It is exactly in the middle of trouble. The verses are the exact centre of a book full of trouble. And God's telling us this truth, you can keep hold of it in the middle of trouble. It isn't just to make us feel better. It's interesting if you look forward at verse 48, Jeremiah doesn't seem to feel better. Verse 48, streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. He says that after verse 22. He's still devastated, but he has truth to keep hold of even while he's feeling devastated. Faith. There is better to come. And so we have Jeremiah's suffering, Jeremiah's faith, and the third experience, raised up. Though I have to admit, this isn't really Jeremiah raised up, it's Jerusalem raised up. And I have to admit, you don't read it in Lamentations. In fact, it ends, chapter 5, verse 21, with Jeremiah praying for it. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. He's praying to be raised up. And it hasn't happened yet in Lamentations. But it will happen. It will happen. You can read it prophesied in Isaiah. By the way, Lamentations and Isaiah, at least Isaiah 40 onwards, have very similar language, but going in opposite directions. Lamentations, Jerusalem torn down. Isaiah, Jerusalem built back. It will happen. It will be raised up. And you can read it happening in Ezra and Nehemiah. God's people were raised out of Babylonian captivity into his presence again. Okay, there's Jeremiah's experience. Suffering and faith and then admittedly after him, raised up. Let's see the parallels with Christ's experience. How is Christ? How is the Lord Jesus in Lamentations chapter 3? First of all, suffering, suffering. Now, children, when in Sunday school or in children's meetings, you know that if you're in some sort of children's group and you're asked the question and you're not sure what the answer is and you're in church, what's a good guess that is right most of the time? If in doubt, take a guess, the answer's Jesus, and you might be right. That's often the case, isn't it? Yes, sometimes it has some drastic consequences when children guess it's Jesus and it wasn't. 
But often the answer is Jesus. Okay, here's some questions for you, children. Um, Don't answer them out loud for the moment. Chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man. Who is the man of the Bible? The man above all men. Chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction. Who is the man who has seen affliction above all other affliction? Chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Who is the man who's come under God's rod, been struck by his wrath more than any other? Yes, it is the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. This is Jeremiah speaking, but he is a picture of Jesus. Let's see that a little more and go through the chapter and see here is a picture of Jesus. Verse 2, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Think of Jesus on the cross between 12 and 3 in the darkness. Verse 8, even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Think of Jesus on the cross crying out and yet experiencing nothing, just abandonment. Verse 13, He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. Think of Jesus. He's pierced in his hands and his feet. Yes, but above all, he's pierced by God emotionally in his heart. Verse 14. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. Think of Jesus. He came to his own and his own would not receive him. Instead, as he suffered, they mocked him. They quoted songs like Psalm 22 to him in a mocking way. Verse 15. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. Think of Jesus on the cross, parched, and they offer him bitter gall to drink. Verse 18. So I say my splendor is gone. Think of Jesus. And all that splendor of heaven, now he's hanging a naked disgrace. All splendor gone. Verse 28. Let him sit alone in silence. Think of Jesus at his trial. Silent like a lamb led to the slaughter. Verse 28 again. For the Lord has laid it on him. Think of Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I told you, didn't I, that Lamentations is full of Isaiah language. Verse 30, let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. Think of Jesus and his cheek is struck by soldiers in mockery as they disgrace him at his trial. It's Jesus. Why is Jesus suffering like this? Well, it's very much like Jeremiah. Do you remember the two reasons I gave you why Jeremiah suffered? One was, well, he just happened to be living. Well, I say he just happened. In God's plan, he was living in the place that was under judgment. And Jesus came and experienced what it's like to live in a world under judgment, a fallen world. But he didn't just happen to be living there. He's not like a a, a resident of Aleppo in Syria who was born in a place that now results in suffering and, and now finds... Her house is bombed. 
No, Jesus is like the voluntary workers who've gone to Aleppo and are caught up in the strife. He came into a world where he would experience this suffering. But do you remember with Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, it wasn't just that. It was also, it was part of his role to take on the pain of God's people. And here's Jesus, not just a private individual. No, he's representing his people. He, he takes on their pain. He carries their punishment. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jeremiah's experience in the first 19 verses is Jesus' experience. But what about verse 21 onwards? Is Jesus like Jeremiah there in verse 21 onwards? Oh, yes, because Jesus' experience was also faith, faith in the suffering. Do you think of Jesus as having faith? I say, well, how could he have faith? Because he's God, so he just knows it all already. No, but he, but he had also become man, fully man, experiencing the limitations of being a man and perfect man. So he was the man of faith. As a man, he trusted God, so he did, verse 21 onwards. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. On the cross, how did he keep going? He was experiencing nothing good at that point, but he called to mind and had hope. There is good to come. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He called to mind God's great love. He wasn't experiencing it then. Tears were still flowing from his eyes, but he called it to mind. And he said to himself, verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The waiting was excruciating, but he did wait for him. Let's think about verse 24 a a bit more. Think of Jesus' most famous words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, where do you put the emphasis in that phrase? You could put it on why, the cry of confusion. Can the Son of God be confused in a sense? Yes. You could put it on the forsaken, the cry of suffering and abandonment. But you could put it also on the my God. My God. Whatever else is happening, he still has faith. He is my God. He's abandoned me. He's crushing me, but he still is my God. In other words, Jesus still, as a man, trusted the covenant of God. At the heart of the covenant was, you are my God. I am one of your people. He still trusted my God, which is verse 24. Jeremiah still trusting the Lord is my portion. And because Jesus had faith, this is my God, it was worth waiting. And he did wait. For God to raise him up. So here's, here's the third experience Jesus had. Suffering, faith and being raised up. He wasn't left in his sufferings. He was raised up from his suffering. He was raised up from death. He was raised up from the grave. He was raised up from this fallen world he was experiencing right onto the throne of heaven. And that is crucial for us. For trusting what God says in Lamentations 3. Think of it like this. Mia goes for a job interview as a graphic designer. And in that job interview, she tells them about her artistic flair. 
and she tells them about the computer packages she can use. Now, how can they know it's true? Is it just words? How can they have confidence she really does have artistic flair and she really can use those computer packages? Well, she pulls out her portfolio and she shows them work she's done before. How do we know Lamentations 3, verse 22, isn't just words? How do we know it's not just nice sentiment to go on a, on a poster about the Lake District? What can give us confidence that, verse 32, verse 31, men are not cast off by the Lord forever? There is a being raised up worth waiting for. Oh, God brings out his portfolio. Here is what I've done earlier. Raised up my son. If he can be raised up from that, bearing the guilt of all his chosen people, he can raise up you. Whatever you are suffering, if you're in him, if you're in him, you're safe. Because he has been raised up, you will be raised up. Because he wasn't left in humiliation, you won't be left in humiliation. Because he was freed from his sufferings, you will be freed from your sufferings. Now, we're getting into there our experience, so let's move on to that. We've had Jeremiah, then Christ, and now us, our experience. Is our experience suffering? Don't need to answer that, do I? Too obvious, sadly obvious. Why do we suffer? Let's have a think. Philip, can we have another thing on the screen, please? Why do we suffer? There can be multiple reasons. Try to categorise them into three here. Because we live in a fallen world. Just like Jeremiah, he lived in a city under judgment. We live in a world under judgment. And so we get caught up in that. This is Romans 8, by the way. We live in a groaning world that's, that's reaping the effects of mankind's rebellion. And so simply living here means we just can't escape that. Sometimes our suffering is God as a father disciplining his children. That's what God was doing to Jerusalem. He hadn't abandoned them, actually. He was going to restore them. He did still love them, but he was disciplining them. And sometimes God disciplines us, his children. I think it's only when we haven't listened to what he says first, because he is a loving father. He will speak to us patiently a long time first. And it's only if we don't listen to that, he shouts with his megaphone, which is sometimes painful. But suffering can also be God judging the rebellious. Not if you're in Christ, he's taken your judgment. But God does judge the rebellious. And that's the third way that people today can suffer, including you if you're not safely in Christ. The Bible doesn't say all the judgment is just at the end when Jesus returns. He does some now, and it's partly, the Bible calls it a trumpet call, a trumpet warning to say to you, wake up, turn before worse comes. So, thank you, Philip. We suffer today for various reasons. Now, when we suffer, it can be hard to work out which one of those three it is. And in a sense, it's not our business to try to work out which one of those three. Our business is to react rightly. How should we react? Like Jeremiah and like Christ, faith. Our experience is suffering. 
our experience must also be faith. Faith in God's character, including when we're not feeling it. Faith in God's covenant. His promises are expired, but they're not expired. What do I mean by that? I'm making a bit of a joke about words. His promises are expired. Expired means God breathed them out. But they're not expired in the sense you see on your can can of baked beans, the expiry date. They never go out of date because they're breathed out by a God whose love never changes. They are expired by him, but they have never expired. They have never passed their sell-by date. And because of that, we need faith to wait and wait and sometimes keep on waiting. That he will raise us up, even if it's not until we actually see Christ and are raised by him. And we must do all of that, not ripping verses 22 to 33 out of their lamentations context. Not treating them as just like a sugar pill to make us feel better. We've got to keep them in the context to see God's word is realistic and help us trust him even when it's hard. Ryan and Annie were a couple in Worcester, known by my family and known by Chris Mitchell's family. And Annie was dying of cancer in, I think she was probably still her 30s then. And really suffering, really had a, had a difficult death. And Ryan, her husband, said people would send them verses from the Bible. Just, just a verse ripped out of context. And well-intentioned people sending verses out of, verses of comfort. And he said it wasn't helpful. He said he didn't find it helpful. Now, I must admit at the time, this rather troubled me. Troubled me because aren't those verses true? Aren't they God's word? Isn't God's word a comfort? Yes. The verses are true. But the Bible's verses of comfort Ripped out of the Bible's context of realism that this is a world of suffering, become trite and shallow and seem rather unhelpful to people going through or experiencing deep wounds. Lamentations message that it is good to wait, as we heard last time, without Lamentations message that it is often hard to wait, is a distortion of what the Bible says. It loses its power to comfort. Yes, the verses are a comfort when we see that they're true even in the context. Faith isn't glibly thinking everything's going to be easy because God is love. Faith is taking seriously what the Bible says about God's love in a world of deep wounds. Our last experience, what what must it be? We've had suffering and faith. It must be being raised up. And it is our last experience, not just in this sermon, but in our lives. Raised up. God's portfolio, his character demonstrated and put into practice by Jesus, means he will raise up. What will he raise up? What are you looking forward to God raising up? Well, it's actually exactly the three things that, are, that were on the screen a minute ago. He will raise up this fallen creation. 
We live in a world of suffering. We suffer because we live in a fallen creation, but he's going to raise it up. And he's going to remove the curse. And he's going to restore it so that we're free of all its sufferings. We've been raised up out of its sufferings because it has had its curse stripped out. It's going to raise up the whole cosmos, the whole created order. What else will he raise up? His children. His children. He's going to raise us up. He's going to raise you up if you're one of his children. And he's going to make you just like his risen son. Not like Jesus when he was five or 20 or 30, but his risen son. And that means there'll be no more need to discipline you. Now you'll be raised up out of any discipline experiences because Jesus doesn't need to be disciplined now, and nor will you. He'll raise you up. What else will he raise up? Do you know what? He's even, he will even raise up rebels under his judgment if they take notice of the warning trumpets. They take notice of those blasts of his warning trumpet as he, as he inflicts trouble on them. He'll raise them up and he'll make them his children and he'll take them to be with him forever. I wonder if that's you. Anyone here not yet in Christ, not yet safely trusting him? Maybe there are troubles in life where God is prodding you, maybe even shouting at you, warning you. Come on, there'll be worse to come if you stay as you are. But come, put your trust in my son, and one day I'll raise you up to be with me forever.